This show is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Sleep, especially as you get older, is so critical, but no two people sleep alike. That's why Helix offers several different mattress models, each designed for specific sleep positions and preferences. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailywire and take their sleep quiz to find the mattress made for you. Whether you're a side sleeper, a stomach sleeper, a hot sleeper, or a cold sleeper, Helix has just the mattress for you. I took the Helix sleep quiz and was matched with a Helix midnight mattress because I wanted a medium firmness and I sleep on my side. I am sleeping so much better on my new mattress. Don't want to take my word for it? Well, Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Take the quiz and order the perfect mattress right to your door, shipped for free. It's so quick and fun to unbox, and you won't believe how well you'll sleep. All Helix mattresses come with a 100-night trial and a 10- or 15-year warranty. Helix even offers financing options and flexible payment plans. A great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and a free bedroom bundle for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com dailywire and use code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. That's helixsleep.com slash dailywire, code HELIXPARTNER20. Today on the Matt Wall Show, horrifying footage of a drag show for children at a gay bar in Texas over the weekend. How is this happening, and how is it happening in Texas? We'll talk about that, and one bright spot in this story is the protesters outside confronting and shaming the groomers. We need a lot more of that. Also, a criminal steals a car, runs over a mother and her child, tries to flee the scene, and will now spend all of five months in juvenile detention for it. And a mother who rushed into Robb Elementary to save her children while police stood outside is speaking out. We'll listen to her story. Plus, another sneak peek of a scene from my film, What is a Woman? And our daily cancellation, we'd send screeners of the film to mainstream film critics. They responded to our email and uh, were not happy. We'll talk about that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. You know, abortion has been, of course, in the news with the impending Roe v. Wade decision, and uh, it's going to be even more so once eventually this decision comes out. And if they decide to get rid of Roe v. Wade, which I think they will, um, you may think it means that the fight is coming to an end. But abortion legislation returning to the states means that the real battle is really just beginning, and there's no group in America better positioned than 40 Days for Life to help fight this battle. 40 Days for Life has one million volunteers throughout the country holding peaceful vigils outside abortion facilities. You may be surprised to hear that their largest presence is actually in the country's bluest states, with California uh, being their biggest state, actually. Their vigils have closed many abortion facilities in America, and nearly half of those facilities were in liberal states where abortion will continue to remain legal after the fall of Roe. From San Francisco to Chicago to Seattle, hardly pro-life areas, as I'm sure you know, volunteers have guided abortion workers to have a change of heart and quit their jobs. So as this issue gets out of D.C. finally, 40 Days for Life is effectively changing hearts and minds in the grassroots of the pro-abortion movement. You can check out their locations, podcasts, and their new book, What to Say When, the complete new guide to discussing abortion at 40daysforlife.com. One reason that I've always been kind of skeptical about any predictions of a coming civil war is that most Americans don't have the energy or attention span to fight a civil war. It would require too much time away from the couch and Netflix. But the other reason for my skepticism is that um, <clears throat> boundaries between the sides are not nearly as geographically defined and delineated as they were in, say, 1861 for the first round. We speak broadly of red states and blue states and... Um, we think of the left as living in coastal metropolises while the right lives down south and across the heartland. But this, of course, is a massive oversimplification. And even more pressingly, however, apart from any civil war discussion, the idea that there are these wide swaths of conservative geographic dominance can lead to, I think, a kind of false sense of contentment and security among conservatives. They say, well, leave the cities, leave California, leave New York. And move down south and you'll be free of the moral filth and insanity infecting those places. That's what we seem to think. But the reality is a lot more complicated and also, unfortunately, more depressing. After all, Texas is one of the places that's supposed to be a uh, kind of promised land for conservatives. And yet Texas is where this happened over the weekend from the Daily Wire. It says, a Dallas gay bar is under fire for hosting an afternoon drag show for children Saturday where kids were invited on stage and tipped performers in front of a neon sign bearing an obscene message. The Drag the Kids to Pride show at the Mr. Mr. Bar 
was billed as a family-friendly version of the bar's regular champagne drag brunch. During Saturday's event, drag performers danced with and took dollar bills from some of the children, according to ABC affiliate WFAA. Um, Do you want to hit the stage with the queens? Reads a promotion for the event. We have five limited spots for young performers to take the stage solo or with a queen of their choosing. Now, the obscene message on that neon sign, by the way, said um, it's not going to lick itself. So the sign said. And we can fairly assume that this was not a reference to um, an ice cream cone. In fact, we know that the environment, the event, and everything associated with it was highly sexualized in nature because, first, it's a drag show, and second, it's at a gay club. This means that the event was not only morally abominable, but also, by the way, illegal, like explicitly illegal. In fact, it's illegal on several levels, including by the clear language of a bill passed just last year in Texas. SB 315 forbids, quote, sexually oriented businesses from allowing any patrons under the age of 21 onto the premises. And this was a, this was a bill that was actually written to, to rate, because before it was, you had to be 18 or over. And so they made it, to, they raised the age, says you got to be 21 or over. Um, the kids that were in that drag at this drag event, weren't even close to 18, let alone 21. The same bill um, also explicitly forbids any business from engaging in activities, quote, harmful to a child. So this would, this would seem to be legislation, like, written to stop events like the one in Dallas. There's no question that a gay club is a sexual, sexually oriented business. And if you did have a question about that, the bright, glowing, enormous neon sign with a sexual reference posted right on the wall by the door for everyone to see should answer the question. So, was the bar shut down? License revoked? That's what the bill says is supposed to happen. That's the consequence. Were the employees and parents and all the other adults involved arrested, shackled, and frog-marched to jail? No, in fact, following the uh, recent trend, Texas cops stood outside and did nothing. Well, not nothing. They did harass protesters who'd shown up to voice their displeasure at the blatant sexual exploitation of children that was going on inside the establishment. We'll have more on that in just a moment. First, let's let's just take a look at um, what actually happened in this uh, Drag Your Child to Pride event. There's plenty of footage of this atrocity, and it's clear that much of the event consisted of cross-dressing men in their burlesque outfits, dancing for children, while the children were encouraged to hand the dancers dollar bills. You know, like... Um, like they do at strip clubs. Here, take a look. Now it gets worse somehow. The children were also included in the performance as the Daily Wire article alluded to. Um, compelled to be active participants. At, at a certain point, the drag queens brought the kids up on stage and coached them on how to walk the runway. I mean, this is like literal grooming happening in front of a crowd. The kids, of course, appeared confused and bewildered by the whole thing. Watch. Runway with the girl who wants to be a diva for the day. Yeah, everybody come back here with me. Walk for me. You gonna let you walk? Who you, you pick who you wanna walk the runway with. You pick who you wanna walk the runway with. Okay, go with her. You guys go with her. How about okay? One person can go with me. Who wants to go first? You wanna go with me? All right, this is my partner in crime today. You ready to do this? On the count of three. Here we go. One. Two. Three. Let's go. All right, we can cut out of that. Um, okay, so, and it's it, the reason it's all blurry and looks smoky in there is that we, we, we wanted to blur it so you couldn't see the kids, but uh, you could still see what was happening to them, what, what was being done. Um, you'll notice how the adults, the parents, are way more excited about this than the children. In fact, the, the first uh, little boy up, on, up, up there that was, was brought up there to participate, he obviously doesn't want to be there. I mean, he's got, he's, he's kind of like hunched over and he's, he's doing the thing that kids always do when they don't want to do something. He's just kind of walking, sort of that kind of hunched over thing. Um, doesn't want to be there. 
course he doesn't want to be there. He's, he's, a, he's a boy. Like he's, it looks like he's a six or seven-year-old boy. He wants to be outside playing. He wants to, you know, he wants to be uh, uh, playing with his superhero action figures, doing whatever, doing whatever he wants to do. He doesn't want to be there doing that. But that's why they call it Drag the Kids to Pride, right? That's the name of the event. It's a name so on the nose that at first, when I saw that name and the images with the, with the flyer and everything to promote the event, I thought, honestly, it was a meme invented by the right. Drag the Kids to Pride? No, it turns out that's actually the name they used. And indeed, the kids were dragged into this by parents who, if it's possible to rank the villains in this situation, would certainly take the title as the biggest scumbags. Now, the degenerate bar owner who hosted this event, the cross-dressers who strutted around for a bunch of elementary schoolers, are all demonic filth as well, of course. But parents have a, a special responsibility to love and protect their children. Sitting back, sipping booze, and cheering as your child is sexually exploited is a level of evil that's just, it's hard to comprehend for anybody, especially if you're a parent. In fact, we got some insight into the parent-child dynamic from a journalist named Taylor Hansen who uh, made his way into the event so that he could film it and expose what was going on. And after enduring what had to be a traumatic experience, even for an adult who has to watch this, I mean, imagine what the kids are, are feeling, he shared one exchange that he witnessed between a mother-child and a bartender I want you to listen to this. They have a kid sitting there at the bar as well, and he's sitting there with his face, you know, plugged into his Nintendo D, uh, 3DS. He doesn't care about the drag stars, doesn't care about anything going on there. His mom's trying to get him to pay attention. He doesn't care, still playing his games. And the uh, I overheard a conversation that was really startling. It was, uh, he was talking to the bartender, and he said, no, I'm not gay. And his mom butted in, interrupted this child, and said, no, he is gay. Don't let him lie to you, he is. And the kid, you could just tell he was super uncomfortable. He obviously wasn't gay, but his mom's telling everyone he's gay. And he just sat there and played Nintendo the entire time. And I mean, he worked on a Rubik's Cube as well. I watched this kid solve the same Rubik's Cube three times. I mean, he didn't care to be there, didn't care about anything going on. And meanwhile, you have the parents on the other side of the aisle giving their kids money. They're wearing Trans Lives Matter shirts. They're wearing all of these shirts that they don't even know what it means but just because their mom told them that it would look nice. Now, normally, uh, I hate it when kids are, you know, immersed in their phones and screens and they won't look up from the screen. In this case, though, it was the child's saving grace. In fact, um, sadly, the, the only hope that this young boy has is that he will just ignore his horrible Munchausen mother, remain totally disinterested in whatever she's trying to force him into, and then perhaps later in life, rebel against her, as many teens do rebel. Except in this case, he'd be rebelling against moral insanity by choosing to be sane, rational, and decent. And that would break his mother's heart more than anything. I mean, if he, his mother, if he ends up being a sane, rational, morally decent, well-adjusted person, that would break her heart. And I pray to God that her heart is broken in that way. This mother deserves to be in solitary confinement for the rest of her life, as do all the adults involved. But if we can't get that, then hopefully at least they'll be punished when their children realize what monstrous ghouls they are and cut them out of their lives forever. We can pray for such a result, but we also know from a pure statistical standpoint that many of these children are statistically, a certain percentage of them are doomed. I mean, are, are going to be sucked into this. Now, there's a chance that a child who grows up in this environment will still grow to be good and happy people. But it's not a very great chance. And that's the tragedy of it. Of course, the left has come up with different ways of excusing all this. But the excuses always eventually filter back down to the simple truth of the matter. Um, at first, because it is the thing with the left, that any time they're making an argument or they're defending something, um, the first thing they say, the first defense they offer, it's always like, it's always, well, here's how I'll defend this. But even if what I'm saying right now isn't true, then, then it, whatever I'm defending is still okay. That's kind of how it works. So at first, they've tried to claim that there's nothing sexual about any of this. It's all totally innocent and family-friendly. Yet this rationale doesn't stand up to scrutiny because drag is hypersexual by its nature. That's the point of the thing. Also, they're at a gay bar, and there's the dollar bills that the dancers are being handed. And then there's the neon sign with the sexually explicit message right there in front of the kids. All of this precludes any attempt to pretend that this is anything but sexual. And that's when the apologists pivot from it's not sexual to it's sexual, but that's good. They say it's healthy for children to be exposed to this sort of thing. 
It'll make them more tolerant and open-minded and progressive. But the point is not really to make them open-minded, of course. Even if that was the point, that would not even begin to excuse what's happening. But as G.K. Chesterton said, the object of opening the mind is to close it again around something. And hopefully what you're doing is you're opening the mind to close it around truth. In this case, they're closing the mind around perversion and depravity. Now, do they want to sexualize these children just for the sake of it, to fulfill their pedophilic fantasies? Well, certainly there's a lot of that going on, yes. But also the goal is to, you know, quote-unquote, liberate the child from any semblance of traditional morality. It's to wall him off from moral truth, from reality itself, really. The adults want these children to grow up and become the same sorts of feckless, confused deviants that they are. And that's why I take some solace in, in the one bright spot of uh, everything that happened around that bar in Dallas. And that would be the protesters out front confronting and shaming the groomers. One of them is Alex Stein, who confronted a drag queen in the parking lot uh, as he was leaving. Let's watch that. For little children? Do you like dancing for little children? You don't think that's disgusting? Dancing around for little children? Don't you think that's disgusting? You don't think that's disgusting? Go on. You don't think that's disgusting? Dancing for little children. You should be you, you should be ashamed of yourself dancing for little children. You should be ashamed of yourself. You guys dance a little children. You should be ashamed of yourselves. You're disgusting. Think about what you just did. Okay, that's fine, but you dance naked in front of little children. You did, you did. You did. Stop. Look at you. Stop. You dance in front of little children. You dance in front of little children. Very well done um, by, by Alex there. Now, not everyone may be comfortable with that sort of thing. You know, the confrontational approach. There are still conservatives who aren't comfortable with it. Who say, oh, I don't know about that. That makes me. Well, if you're not comfortable with it, you need to get comfortable. Um, these people have been operating in a world free of shame, right? That, that's, that's the world they've kind of, that's the bubble that they've constructed for themselves. Which, which is why uh, they, they, they were not only put this event on, and not only in Texas, but were shocked that protesters were outside, shocked and, and uh, scandalized and offended. They didn't think anybody would, would, would come and, and have a problem with it. And only in this kind of shameless bubble could child drag shows exist in the first place. That's why we have to, we have to bring shame back and direct it in the places where it belongs. That was always a lie that, there's, that it's wrong. You know, shame is wrong. It's wrong to shame things, shame people. No, shame is a good tool as long as you're shaming the things that need to be shamed, shaming the things that are shameful. Expose, confront, shame. Now, it'd be better if the people in charge would just enforce the law and protect our children, but they won't. So, it's up to us. Now, let's get to our five headlines. All right, hope you had a good uh, weekend. I, I had a, you know, mine was active. I started the weekend actually on Friday in Denver to speak at the Western Conservative Summit out there. Then I flew down uh, that night for the uh, TPUSA Women's Leadership Conference where um, I had a conversation with Charlie Kirk on stage about the film, and that was great. And then I flew up to uh, Virginia to see family for a day, then back to Nashville. And then I got back to my house, and while I was gone that whole, that whole time, I had some, uh, some uh, bees delivered to my house because I'm getting back into the beekeeping game. And so someone dropped off a couple of hives, and you know, like left them in, in the yard, and but I had to uh, I had to put them. They weren't where they needed to be because they're like right next to the house. So I had to I had to put them like bring them up a hill to to what to the what we call the bee yard where I want my beehives to be. And um, you know, usually when you buy a package of bees, it comes in like a kind of a small box, and there's like three thousand bees, and you could really lift it with one arm. You probably shouldn't, but you could. In this case, I had full hives that were delivered, and I had to move them up a hill. Um, by myself, and I'd never really moved a full hive before. And I thought to myself before I did it that I should probably look up 
online, maybe a YouTube video on how exactly this process is supposed to work. But then I thought that will take time and I'd be bored. So instead, I'll just go out there and do it. And so I went out and picked up these giant boxes full of like 10,000 bees and I like carry them up a hill. At one point, I, I kind of partially tripped in this divot, this little ditch in the, in, the, in the grass. And I almost dropped the bees. And the thing is, if I had done that, I would have dropped them and then fallen into them. And I didn't, but I almost did. And all I could think about after that happened was that, man, if I was killed from falling into a beehive right now of all times, that would be, so many people would be so happy. I can't allow that to happen. And, and the other thing that would be unfortunate is that I have to think about this kind of thing now, that like even my supporters, because I know that if I die, of course, the left's going to be happy. They'll be making fun of me. But, but I have to think about the fact that my supporters if I die like in an embarrassing way by falling into a beehive and getting stung to death, um, they would have, my supporters would have to even have to admit that I died in a way that was a little, a little bit goofy. So this is the pressure that I have on me now. Uh, I know that when I die, people will celebrate. So I have to make sure that I don't die in an embarrassing way. Like for your sake in the Sweet Baby Gang. I have to give you a noble or at least tragic death. So something to think about. But it all, it all worked out. Okay, the bees are where they need to be. Um, I want to start with this. Bill Mulligan at Fox News has a story here. First, I want to show you the video. It's a quick video. Uh, Yet another disturbing video, unfortunately. But uh, I'll just tell you, the the good news here is that what you're about to see, uh, both of the victims did did survive. But this was a, a woman in California who was hit by a car while she was walking her child in a stroller. And uh, let's just, let's go ahead and play that so we see that footage here. Okay, so she's walking. She tries to get over to the side, and then this car looks like it's swerving at her. Now, now I want you to watch what happens next. Car drives away, hit and run. And then look at this guy in the pickup truck. Now, here's this is actually heroic. So the guy in the pickup truck sacrifices his car, like gets into a head-on collision intentionally to stop the person in the car that just did the hit and run. Um, so, you know, that that's the, the person in the pickup truck deserves lots of credit for that. Also, the mom, you know, you, you, you watch that video there and it's very upsetting. Obviously, you see a mom and her baby getting hit by a car. We also see how the mom, as the car is coming and she realizes she can't get out of the way, she she pivots around and puts herself in front of her child so that she takes the brunt of the impact. And then she gets hit by a car and rolls off the, you know, rolls off the hood of the car and then immediately pops up and goes to check on her child. And again, fortunately, thank God, both the um, mother and child were, were okay. Now, here's the full story, all right? And this is, we go to Bill Mulligan, who's got this, the full story. He reports, a 16-year-old hit-and-run driver in a stolen car who ran over a mom and child in Venice was sentenced on Friday to five to seven months in juvie camp. Um, DA George Gascon office tells me that this was an appropriate resolution, but I've learned he was a prior, he has a prior criminal history. Per multiple law enforcement sources, the juvie was on probation and violating it at the time of this hit and run, and he has been previously convicted of felony poisoning after he spiked a teen girl's drink at Palmdale High School in 2019. She was hospitalized. Despite the juvie's criminal history, sources in the LA's DA's office tell me that uh, in accordance with his policies, Gascon's admin didn't charge the juvie with assault with a deadly weapon or attempted murder for the hit and run, which led to this uh, light sentence. So that is not assault with a deadly weapon. Running a mother and her child in a stroller over with a hitting them with a car is not assault with a deadly weapon. Now, actually, as, as it turns out, I mean, for all the talk we hear about uh, so-called assault rifles, whatever those are supposed to be, um, cars are much, de- statistically, much deadlier weapons than are quote-unquote assault rifles. So this, uh, this DA, this is, what, this is what he does. I mean, this is the same DA, I believe, who, um, you know, there was that trans pedophile who, I mean, there's so many cases like this, it's hard to even point, pinpoint one, but it just, just, this is what he does takes dangerous, terrible people and makes sure to keep putting them back on the street. He wants to keep as many of them out on the street as possible. 
And it would be bad enough, a five to seven month sentence. But then you look at this, this I, I hesitate to even call him a kid, but he is 16. Uh, you look at his criminal history. Now, let, let's ask ourselves. You've got a 16-year-old who already has a history of criminal violence. He poisoned somebody. And now he's stealing a car, running a woman over and her, and her baby and trying to run... So you give him another seven months just kind of like hanging out with other juvenile delinquents. Is he going to come out and be and be magically better? Is he going to come out and uh, be reformed? Is that all it's going to take? No, obviously not. Because as they filter these people through the system, all they're, they're just getting worse and worse. Okay, so it's not even it's not even neutral where you just take an offender and then you throw them back out on the street and they're just as dangerous as they were before. No, this is being done in a way to make them more dangerous. Number one, because they're being emboldened, not being held accountable. And the message that's being sent, especially to this kid, over and over again is you can do whatever you want and there will be almost no consequence. So you're emboldening them and also you're just kind of like hooking them up with other delinquents and criminals and violent people. So it becomes nothing more. It's like, a, it's like sending them off for a, a social gathering for a few months with other delinquents, and then you toss them back out on the street. And you keep doing this until this kid kills somebody, and he will. It's a miracle he hasn't already, not for lack of trying. He's going to kill somebody eventually. And it's like, we know that. Everyone knows that. This DA Gascon, this Marxist DA, he knows that too. He doesn't care. And his message to the community and all the innocent people and the women that this, that this kid's going to victimize and already has victimized is, uh, well, look, too bad. We care more about this criminal than we do about you. And why is it? I mean, why, what, what really? I mean, why are we doing this? Why not just t- take him and put him in prison for a long period of time? Protect the innocent people that he's victimized, victimizing. This, this would seem to be an easy win for especially a DA. You've got a mother and her child in a stroller hit by a car? Throw the book at this scumbag. Everybody would celebrate that. So it's, it's not only the right thing to do morally and logically and legally, but it would also be the most politically popular thing to do. So why wouldn't you do it? Well, one answer is that these are these are... Marxists. This is a Marxist DA. This is a, this is another, um, you know, handpicked uh, George Soros puppet, and they simply hate civilization. They really do. They 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 want to destabilize civilization. And also on top of that, um, not that I want to let them off the hook by you know letting them claim ignorance, but it, al- it is also true that because of their ideological commitments, they do not understand human nature at all. They just don't understand it. They think of people as like blank slates that you can just, you know, you could just kind of slap them on the wrist and say, don't do that anymore, and then they'll just stop doing it. Kind of like flipping a switch or something, reprogramming. doesn't work that way. I mean, human nature tells us that when someone starts to um, descend into evil, you know, that descent is going to continue unless something is done, something drastic is done to stop it. Um, and the other part of human nature is that we know that uh, although it's, it's, it is possible for people to be redeemed, it's possible for them to repent, it's possible for them to reform and change their lives, one thing we know is that it's never going to happen Unless, there's no chance of it unless they're forced to confront the horrible things that they've done. Like you, you cannot actually um, repent of a sin that you haven't confronted. If you don't understand the severity of it, if you're not, if you're not forced into this confrontation with your own sin and, the own, and your own evil that you've committed, there's not going to be any repentance. There's no chance of it. And that's, that's one aspect. And the other aspect is that um, although it is possible for someone to reform, most people don't. The chances of it are very low. If you've got a kid who's not even 18 yet, and he's already poisoning people and running people over with cars, 
99% chance, unfortunately, is that he's going to be a dangerous scumbag for the rest of his life. You hope for some reformation, but probably not going to happen statistically, which means that for the sake of society, you need to segregate him from everybody else. I want to move to this. Um, I don't know if this is so much a headline, but uh, but I, it's a headline for me. I, um, I want to show you another quick sneak peek. This is something that I posted on uh, Twitter a couple days ago. Quick sneak peek from the film, and this relates to you know everything we talked about really in the opening. Um, the, it's sort of the, the logical conclusion of the leftist sexual agenda. What, what happens when we become unmoored from truth, unmoored from reality, from our moral tradition? And we uh, took the rabbit hole all the way down in the film. So I want to play this clip from uh, What is a Woman, which is available now at whatiswoman.com. You can become a subscriber and watch, but here it is. Watch. So now we are seeing kids that are identifying as animals going to school and they are purring instead of answering questions and they meow and the teachers are not allowed to question it because it's considered a queer identity. So you have kids that are going to school and they're saying, I'm a cat. Mm-hmm. And the teachers have to affirm them as a cat. Yes. So, so it's the not schools just are like the literal, literal zoos now, basically. They are. I am a 27-year-old transgender woman. Um, I am a wolf therian and a member of the furry fandom. When and how did you discover this inner wolfness? Um, probably around age 10 or 11. I was watching an anime about wolves and see the wolf running across the screen and I'm somehow just intrinsically like, oh, that's me. Have you spent any time around biological wolves? Yes. That sounds dangerous also. What, what context um, are you? So I was a volunteer with a preserve and I've, I've also visited many wolf preserves. Are you able to communicate with the wolves? Am I going to have a conversation with a wolf in the way that I'm communicating you and I? Obviously not. Am I going to read their body language, respond appropriately to their behaviors and their nonverbal cues? Yes. Would you be, would you be able to give us an example of this wolf communication? Um, no. I'm not comfortable doing so. Okay. All right. I mean, I thought I'd ask anyway. Uh, I would be interested to know. I mean, I, I still would, would like to know what... Um, really what the interpersonal communication between a wolf is like. And you, and you see that and you think, well, that's uh, absurd and you can kind of laugh about it. And sure, but you know, I'm telling you right now, this is not, uh, this is not any kind of um, extreme slippery slope possibility. I think that a few years from now, that someone, I don't know if it's going to be me, but someone's going to have to make a, a film called What is a Human? Because... This trans species stuff, this is not um, just a fringe fad, you know, outlier type of thing. This, as we heard from Sarah Stockton, who's the, the therapist in the first part of that clip, this is a very common thing. And she's not the only one saying that. You know, we hear from people that work in the schools, therapists that feel like they can speak out without be, having their career, careers destroyed, that this is, this is a thing now. Kids, this is what kids are doing. And it's like, well, and of course kids are doing that. When you tell kids that, hey, you can be whatever you want to be, your identity is up to you. Of course, a lot of them are going to say, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a wolf or I'm a whatever, I'm a monkey. And, and usually, in a, like in a sane society, kids pretending to be animals, as long as they're kids. Now, the person we were talking to there, the was it Wolf Therian? Not a kid. That's an adult. But for kids pretending to be animals, usually it's uh, my own kids do that sometimes. My two-year-old runs around pretending to be an animal. And that's, that's perfectly fine. That's using your imagination. Except that we don't live in a sane society. And so now uh, we latch on to that and say, okay, well, that, that's, your, that's who you are now. That's your identity. That's not, that's not just a game. That's who you are. So look out for the sequel, What is a Human, dropping sometime in the next few years. Um, I'm going to move to this. Daily Mail says, um, at least 50 people are feared dead after gunmen opened fire on worshipers and detonated explosives at a Catholic church in southwestern Nigeria on Sunday. The violence at St. Francis Catholic Church in um, Owatown, 
happened during the morning service on Pentecost Sunday in a rare attack in the southwest of the African country. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure that the body count has gone up from 50, but they're, but, you know, they're talking about at least 50 people were killed in this attack. Obviously a terrible tragedy, horrible massacre. Um, and it comes just a week or so after we heard over and over again we addressed this on the show. We heard this. This is that they made this claim on The View and plenty of other places in media that this kind of thing only happens in America. This, this is a uniquely American problem. And you'll remember I said, well, that's ridiculous. It happens everywhere. Um, and here is tragic evidence of that. Not, not but a few days later. What we find, and the reason why this is important to point out, is that is that's a violence and death? That's a universe, it's like universal human condition. It goes down to human nature, which is why it's so important. If you're a DA or if you're anybody else, it's important to understand human nature. Now, there's um, a poll that was done by CBS, and it's it's vi- viral right now. The results are viral on Twitter right now because. It's being seen by the left as an opportunity to dunk on Republicans because here's the here's the headline um, from Yahoo News. Four in 10 Republicans think mass shootings are unfortunately something we have to accept as part of a free society. Uh, Then it continues in the article says more than four in 10 Republicans think mass shootings are inevitable in a free society. The survey results came on the heels of a string of mass shootings. Uh, One of the questions in the poll asked residents if they feel that mass shootings are unfortunately something we have to accept or something we can prevent and stop if we really tried. In, in response, 44% of Republicans said mass shootings are inevitable as part of a free society. Now, of course, the left is, oh, how could they possibly say that? They're okay with mass shootings. That doesn't mean you're okay with it, obviously. Nobody, no one outside of the actual mass shooters are okay with mass shootings. Everyone agrees that it's a horrible thing. The only, my only disagreement with um, the Republicans, the four and ten Republicans that responded this way, although they're just responding to the poll in the way that it's worded, my only disagreement is that it says, you know, mass shootings are inevitable in a free society. No, no, no. This is inevitable in any society, free or not. And if it's not mass shootings, then it's mass slaughter and mass attacks of other kinds. It's inevitable. You, there's, there's never going to be a time, never, when we will have rid the world of murder. It is never going to happen. Now, does that mean that you're okay with people being murdered? Obviously not. It just means that you're confront. You, you want to live in reality. You want to start, you want, you want to have your starting point in reality. Because if you're going to protect yourself, and notice that these respondents, they didn't say, well, there's nothing we can do to protect ourselves. There's nothing we can do to punish the people that do it. There's nothing that we can do to defend our children. They didn't say any of that. But if you want to protect yourself, and defend your family and yourself and your children, then you have to have a starting point of reality, which is to recognize that there's always the potential of this kind of thing happening. You recognize that so that you can have a a chance of preventing some of it. Um, And that's that's why, uh, you know, you, you want to be able to have the ability to protect yourself rather than relying on, you know, rather than sitting back and, and say, well, I'll wait for the government to come up with some kind of plan, so, some legislation, some policy that, uh, that will protect me and my family and just make all this goes, go away. That's the leftist approach, and that's how they f- answer these surveys. So they can somehow feel that they're on a, kind of, they could perch themselves on a higher moral vantage point, they think. You say, I'm more opposed to to mass shootings than you are. No, no, you're not. You can't can't really be opposed to anything in reality if you're not living there first. Um, Understanding the inevitability of these kinds of things is how you you can actually work to prevent some of it. Um, You know, death in general is an inevitability. I don't like it. No one likes that fact. But that's, that is also a fact of reality. And you have to, you know, again, if you want to be able to protect yourself, you have to start from that reality. Um, now, speaking of this, this is from The Blaze. I wanted to play this for you. It says, a Texas mother who, defi- who defied Uvalde police officers and ran into the school 
during the mass shooting to save her children, has come forward to tell her story despite alleged threats by law enforcement for her not to speak to the media. On the morning of May 24th, um, Angeli Gomez went to Robb Elementary School to see her kids' graduation ceremonies. Uh, and she, and then she found out what was happening there. She rushes to the school. And then we have the local media. They did an interview with this, with this mother. And I think this clip's about two minutes. But she talks about everything that happened. And it's worth listening to. Right away as I parked, um, U.S. Marshals started coming toward my car saying that um, I wasn't allowed to be parked there. And uh, he said, well, we're going to have to arrest you because you're being very uncooperative. I said, well, you're going to have to arrest me because I'm going in there. And I'm telling you right now, I don't see none of y'all in there. Y'all are standing with snipers and y'all are far away. I'm, if y'all don't go in there, I'm going in there. He right, immediately put me in cuffs. She says after Uvalde police officers told marshals to uncuff Gomez, she ran towards the school. As soon as they uncuffed me, I jumped that first gate fence. And once I jumped it, I went to my son's class. And I knocked on the door and I remember the teacher saying, um, I'm like, hey, they're already, they're already um, bulge cutting the fence to get me. She's like, you think we have time to get out? I said, y'all have time. I'm going to run for my other son. Once she was assured her son was okay, Gomez ran to get her other child, encountering more officers who tried to stop her. So I start yelling and I'm being a cooperative and I'm like, well, y'all aren't doing shit. What are y'all doing? Y'all ain't doing shit. Y'all need to be in here. Give me your best. Somebody give me a best. Some, something. I started paying attention to how far the shots were being so that I knew the shooter was all the way still by my first son's class. So when I went to my son, my second son's door, the teacher didn't want to open the door for me. So that's when they started um, escorting me out. And as I, as I see that they're opening my son's door, I go run for my son and I get him. With both of her kids out safe, Gomez still can't shake the thought of those who didn't make it. While you were inside the school, did you see officers there inside the school? There was not one officer inside the school when I in ran to areas. my second son's class. There was not one officer. And you were hearing gunshots, so you knew you that could hear the it gunshots. was an active shooter. It was still active. The gunshots were still active. They were not in there. There was no one in there. If anything, when I pulled up, my car was closer to the school than the, where than where the snipers and everybody that was laying on the ground were. And somehow, people on the left will see this, that clip, as many of them have been sharing it, you know, on social media. Good reason to share it. It's a it's a powerful, harrowing, also infuriating story at the same time. But they'll see it and, and not draw the connection between this and the gun issue. You can't rely on the government to protect you, as is clearly the case here. Get rid of the guns, and that's what you're left with. You're left hoping that the government will, that government employees will step up and protect you. And maybe sometimes they will, but it's pretty clear you can't depend on it. So she ran in to save her, her child, and, and, and both of her children, rather. Um... And a significant detail that we heard there is that as she is running from class to class to say, you know, running into what, as far as she knew, gunfire, unarmed, to save both of her children. But as she's doing that, she hears the gunshot, the gunfire continue. And that's a really important point because uh, one of the defenses or excuses that has been offered by and for the sake of the police officers is that, well, by the time they got there, the shooting had stopped. And even if that was true, that still would not even begin to excuse the fact that they let the shooter stay in there for an hour. But that's not true. He, this this uh, scumbag, this demon, was in that classroom with the kids and just slowly executing them one by one over the course of an hour while the police were outside. That's what happened. Cannot rely on anyone to defend us or our families. That's just the truth of the matter. Let's get to the comment section. Uh, let's see. Abby says, the real star of the movie is Mrs. Walsh. Sorry, Matt. First of all, spoiler warning. Uh, second, no need to apologize. Um, very happy we could uh, include her in the film. And uh, I thought it was a... Uh, well, I don't want to give it away. So you're just, all these spoilers, people are not uh, respecting that. Mike says, 
Matt, loved your film, but the one really big omission is that the film never mentions God or grounds itself in the truth of Scripture. Massive missed opportunity. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard this critique of a couple different places. I, I just really disagree with it quite a bit. Um, the objective of the film is, first of all, to expose the absurdity and the hollowness of gender ideology. And to kind of re and, and and to show how this is being, you know, how kids are being indoctrinated, how this is harming people, harming women, harming everybody, to, to expose all of that, and then to reassert basic common sense reality. You know, um, the the answer to what okay, I just said I want to give spoiler spoilers away, but the answer to what is woman is adult female. So I'm not sure what you know, by the end of it we finally get to the answer, and you would have liked it to be. What a, a Bible quote, or a woman is someone who's created by God, or something like that. The thing is, of course, that's true. But if you if if we had done that, the left would have been very happy. I could tell you that. Okay, if we had framed this in a in a religious context, the left would love that. That's what they were hoping this movie would be, and it's not. That's one of the reasons why they're so afraid of it. Um. I think we need to we needed to start with the basic reality. It's like if somebody says, um, uh, if someone's going around, if there's a movement of people going around claiming that two plus two equals five, okay, we're going to destroy mathematics. Two plus two equals five. Well, what's your response to that going to be? Your response is going to be, no, 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 it's four. You're not going to say, well, no, God says that two plus two equals four. He does, but that's no one would you wouldn't that wouldn't be your response. Nobody would say that. That would, that would not be the, the, the most effective response because then you're making it seem like your belief in mathematics is rooted in religious faith. It's like a religious doctrine. No, it's just math. Yes, everything comes from God, including mathematics. And that's a conversation we can have once you've reasserted the basic reality. Okay, someone says two plus two equals five. You don't immediately pull out the Bible and start and start flipping through scripture and No, start with, no, 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 it equals four. Let's start there, and then we can go deeper into a lot of different issues. The other thing to keep in mind with What is Woman is that it's one film, it's 90 minutes. So I have heard from people, um, you know, and I appreciate everyone's feedback, but I have heard from people say, well, why didn't you talk more about this? Or why didn't you go that direction? All those things are important. Like there are, you know, there are 50 different movies that could be made based on the various different avenues that we went down. And we we should do all those things. Um, other people can make movies about those things, and we can talk about all those subjects. But you gotta, you have a, you have to have a starting point. All right, let's see. Uh, Leave it be says gender being a feeling is ridiculous. Every single person is going to feel different from what society deems womanly or feminine, manly or masculine. By their standards, everyone on Earth would have a unique gender identity. This documentary was amazing. Uh, yeah, what you're also getting at is, is, and this is what, kind of what we heard from Jordan Peterson in the film, that there's this conflation of gender and personality or gender and temperament. And, and a lot of the time when people are talking about gender, that's actually what they're trying to describe. So we've kind of we've thrown, you notice that too, people don't talk about personality and temperament that much anymore. Because the word gender has subsumed all of that. Um. Let's see, uh, what else do we have? Tercio says, Matt's poker face reaction to the insanity threw them off. That's probably how he got them to admit such horrible things on camera. They don't expect you to listen. They want you to either to applaud without really questioning anything or to disagree with them up front so that they can dismiss you as a bigot. But they don't know how to handle a person actually paying attention to what they have to say. They didn't know what to do, so they just kept talking and revealing their horrifying secrets. Yeah, there's that. Of course, they yes, they want they want to be as, as we've talked about. They want to be immediately affirmed. They want to be you know they want you to just submit to whatever they're saying and nod along. But the other thing is they 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 don't want to have to say very much, right? So on any of these subjects, they have a couple of sentences. They have like their talking point, their party line, and uh, they're happy to to give you that and to say a couple of sentences. But that's all they got. They don't want to have to continue talking. And what I found in, in doing the film is that, yeah, you got to ask the right questions, although it's not hard to figure out which questions to ask because they're the most basic questions in the world. 
But sometimes, even more important than the question is just the silence, which is why there's a lot of awkward silence and pauses in these interviews. Um, and some of that is just like, it, it just is kind of hilarious. But also, if you ask the question, they give you their kind of one-off talking point answer, and they just leave more, keep, say nothing, let them keep talking. Don't, don't bail them out by saying something else, you know, offering your own perspective, asking a different question. Like, no, just, yes, continue. Let's hear more about that. Uh, and then when you do that, you find that there isn't much more to say, as it turns out. All right, let's get now to our daily cancellation. The movie review aggregation site Rotten Tomatoes doesn't always give the most accurate impression of a film's uh, you know, quality. For anybody unfamiliar with the site, if you are, the, the idea is that all the reviews of a film are uh, compiled and categorized as generally positive or generally negative, and then we're given a percentage score. So a movie with a positive percentage above 60 is fresh. Um, ostensibly, if the positive percentage is higher, 70, 80, 90, it's supposed to be pretty good assurance that, that the film is you know, very high quality. The problem is that a film which most critics found just mildly amusing might end up with a 95% fresh score simply because 95% of critics were mildly amused by it. So the 95% is a bit misleading in that case, as we tend to associate 95% with an A-plus grade, but the Rotten Tomatoes grading system, in effect, makes it so that a whole bunch of C-minuses can add up to an A-plus. This is how every Marvel movie passes as critically acclaimed, for example. The other problem is that Film critics are some of the most shameless and dishonest shills in media, which is really saying something. So a very good film that fails to pass the woke litmus test may end up with a 30 or 40 percent. In those cases, it can be enlightening, as people know, to look at the audience score and compare it. Because Rotten Tomatoes also allows regular Joes to leave their reviews and their rating on a one to five star scale. Frequently, movies that are panned for political reasons will have a very lopsided review ratio. Maybe if you get a 30 percent from critics, but a 90 percent from audiences. And if you see something like that, you know almost every time that the film is probably pretty decent. Sometimes it'll go the other way, and a film will have a 90% from critics and um, a 30% from audiences. This usually means that the movie is this kind of like meandering, pointless art house tripe that critics pretended to like so that they would seem smart. All in all, a lot can be gleaned from a comparison of the two percentages. So, what can we learn from this? As of last night, my new film, What is a Woman?, had earned a 97% score from the audience with well over 1,000 reviews counted, which is a lot of reviews, by the way, from, from audiences. I mean, there, there are a lot of big box office films that uh, don't get 1,000 reviews in the first week, as we did. 97%. What score did it get from the critics? Well, N.A., not applicable. There's no score. They just haven't reviewed it. None of them. There's one critic review, and it's from Christian Toto, who's a great uh, contributor for The Daily Wire, Outside of that, though, the movie has been completely and totally ignored by the media. Why haven't they watched it? Like it's not—it's not that they're panning it; they're just not—they're refusing to watch it. And why is it? Is it because they—they uh, they don't know about it, or they don't have time to watch it, or just they don't think it's very important, or whatever? Well, they might be able to make that claim if not for the fact that we sent the screener to media critics, and many of them responded to the email that we sent them, telling us, in so many words, to go f ourselves. Actually, in those words exactly, in some cases. So let me read through a few of the responses that we got from film critics. Um, one says, unsubscribe, 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 continuing infinity. Another one says, unsubscribe, lose my email, forget my name. Uh, another one says, hard effing pass. I won't give that transphobic bigot a platform on my site. Never email me again. Another hard pass. Uh, another one says, absolutely effing not. He's a bigot. You should be ashamed for associating with him. Another one, please remove me, from, remove me from your mailing list. I am not interested in anything having to do with Matt Walsh. Another one says, big no thanks. Um, let's see. Yeah, I'm not reviewing a film by a bigot. And if that's how who you work with, you can take me off your list. I won't be reviewing anything from you. Uh, another one says, please don't send me anything else from the Daily Wire. I'm not interested. And then we got a bunch of... Uh, uh, this one was good. Okay, here's, here's one that says, hi, trans woman here. Just got your email inquiring if I wanted to review your Nazi transphobic movie. In the future, please send requests like requests like this to dsnuts at gmail.com. Now, I don't think this person realizes that the last part of their email and the first part 
Hi, uh, I'm a woman. Send the request to D's Nuts. All right. Um, and then another one says, take me off your list. I'm not interested in covering content from fear-mongering people whose inqu- inquiries into gender and identity are predicated on the basis of taking rights away from people in at-risk communities and spreading misinformation for the sake of grabbing power and wielding it against people. Um, and then a bunch of others. I have no interest in covering this film or anything to do with Matt Walsh. Please never email me again. Okay, so you get the idea. Now, you may hear all that and think, well, of course they responded that way. And in one sense, you're right. I mean, of course they did. But let's not allow them to hide behind the inevitability of their own cowardice and intellectual dishonesty as if they're drawn up by the forces of fate and have no choice but to act like a bunch of spineless little blobfish. The fact is that film critics in mass are declaring at the outset that they simply will not even watch one of the most talked about films of the year so far, one audiences are raving about, and which is indeed a legitimate and well-made piece of work. Well-made thanks to our director and producer, not so much to me, but it is well-made. Um, it's not unprecedented for a film to be blackballed to this extent, but it is unusual. Because again, usually what they'll do if they don't like the movie, for political reasons, is they'll just pan it. And this reveals once again that our cultural gatekeepers are totally beholden to a certain ideological agenda. This doesn't just extend to the people who create the culture, the people who make the film, shows, music, etc. It also and especially extends to the people who decide which pieces of content in each of those categories we ought to be consuming and engaging with. The left's cultural and institutional domination works through multiple layers. Okay, they decide what's made, and if someone manages to make something that they don't approve of, then the gatekeepers and media can step in to make sure that nobody hears about it. The good news is that these gatekeepers have become increasingly impotent as we develop ways of getting around them. And one very effective way of getting around them is to do exactly what we're doing here at The Daily Wire. Build our own institution slowly but surely and sustain it with the support from the audience rather than making ourselves entirely beholden to advertisers, investors, shareholders, and so on. And that's just another good reason to go to whatisawoman.com and subscribe today if you haven't. One other point about the critical reaction to the film, or lack thereof is that it perfectly illustrates the point of the film itself. The left is terrified of the movie, of the question, of the approach we took, the truth that we brought to bear. See, if they thought that our film could be easily debunked, um, then they'd watch it and they'd debunk it. They love doing that. You know, if they really thought it was a bunch of transphobic nonsense, as they claim, then they would watch it and they would just, they would point out all of the nonsense in the movie. If they really thought it was nothing but a bunch of ignorant bigotry, they would delight in pointing out all the ways that such is the case. They'd go through it with a fine-tooth comb. John Oliver would do a whole show dissecting it, playing clips, making snarky comments. But he can't do that. None of them can. Because there's no rescuing the people who made fools of themselves in the film. There's no defending gender ideology in general. There's no way for them to answer the question without destroying their own worldview in the process. Now, at some level, they know that the film is successful in debunking gender ideology because at some level, they know that gender ideology is a flimsily constructed tower of Jenga blocks wobbling in the breeze and ready to fall over if just one block is removed. And with our film, we're going for the block way at the base of the tower, the blocks the other blocks are sitting on, which means that the tower is certain to topple. The left doesn't want to be there to watch it happen for fear that it'll fall directly on their heads. So they look the other way, they run the other direction, they cover their eyes, they close their ears. Hope that eventually we all get bored and stop talking about the fact that their worldview is incoherent, absurd, and poisonous to civilization. But we're not going to stop, unfortunately for them. And I have to say, I also enjoyed the filmmaking process so much that I don't plan to stop doing that either. It's pretty fun. I'll give the critics uh, many more movies, which I'm sure that they will pretend don't exist. They can do that all they want. They're still, I must say today, canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. 
Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our show, Morning Wire, where we bring you all the news that you need to know in 15 minutes or less. Join me and my co-host, Georgia Howe, for daily coverage of all the biggest stories on Morning Wire. Morning Wire. 